welcome to Herd Art Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter 17 of Northern Lights, The Witches. Hi Faye, how are you doing? Hi, I'm okay. I'm doing better than I was last week. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Good. I'm glad you're I'm very happy to see your scenery is back to familiar scenery. Faye's back in her very own kitchen. I am. Um, the recording studio kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I'm back in my own flat. And it's great apart from that it's boiling again because it always is. Um but good yeah. to be back. Good to have running water, you know, all those basic human rights that you should have. I've got oh, them yeah. back. You know, the yeesh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, that's good. Uh, I've been back for a little while now. So yeah, I'm good. I'm obviously I'm better than I was last week. I've got like there's still loads of shit going on though. I'd like I feel like there's so much work stuff going on, so much like social stuff going on, and I don't want to complain because we're in the middle of a pandemic. But also I'm like it's too much. I can't do it. <laughs> it is. It really is. I feel like just nothing for me. Just nothing has changed. I'm in that like rut where everything is the same and I can't really complain because it's the same level of average. <laughs> yeah. Average to good. I'm hoping that mine will get back to that because obviously last week was horrendous for me and then this week it's gone back to normal-ish and I'm hoping that like next week will be fully back to normal and I'll be like, yay. Or like, I don't know yeah. how much yay can you be in a global pandemic, but you know, back to the back to the usual grind, I suppose. We're so yeah. positive, Rage. I know when people listen we to are. us and they're like, oh my God, look at these positive rays of light in this hard time. <laughs> no, my favourite thing is people that turn around and tell me, you know what, it's okay that you're as grumpy as I am. And that's what I want to tell other people because I keep seeing things that are like, oh, you've got to get out. You've got to go and like, you've got to do yoga in your house and bake some bread and do all of this stuff. Yeah. And everyone's using all their time so productively. And I'm just getting through the day and that is fine with me. Like, yeah. I'm getting the little jobs that I'm giving myself to do done. And if I'm not getting them done, I'm not being harsh on myself about it because you just, there's so much going on. True. And even if you're not doing very much, you're having to process so much stressful information on a daily basis that's filtering through from the outside world that just being alone with yourself for long periods of time can be really difficult for some people. So I just think absolutely, don't feel pressure to radiate positivity if you're not in the mood. Because it's also fine to be a grumpy bitch. And that's my message for the world. (laughs) That is so true. It is fine to be a grumpy bitch. I feel like that's my kind of my default setting anyway, like regardless of (laughs) pandemic. Uh, I'm quite a grumpy bitch. Uh, One one fun thing that I did do, I don't think I told you about this actually. Uh, When we were staying at Andy's, we were playing on his wrestling game. It was like, I think he's got WWE 2K16. And it's super fucking difficult and ridiculous. And they all look like shit. Like all the wrestlers look shit and it's hilarious. So when we got home, I ordered WWE 2K19 and I've been playing on that. And it's so (laughs) fucking funny and ridiculous and shit all at the same time. And I played it for hours and I obviously played as Nikki Bella and I played as her until I got to do a finishing move, which is a rack attack. And I was like, I'm not playing it as anyone else until I get to do Nikki Bella's finisher. And it took me fucking ages because it's so difficult. 
<laughs> Brilliant. It's an achievement. It counts. Right. <laughs> and when when um, when all this is done and we can be in the same room, we can play against each other and you can just see how ridiculously difficult it is, but also hilarious. I can't do video games at the best of times, Faye. <laughs> and well, neither can I. You know how shit I am. Like, if I can't do something within like two minutes, I give up. I don't know why. I think that now I've achieved the rack attack. I'm probably not going to play it as much anymore, but it's just ridiculously stupid to play. Like, <laughs> I kind of admire people that are really good at it because there's so many, like, buttons to remember and moves to remember, and I'm, like, a classic button basher and you can't really do it in this game. Oh, me too. Yeah. I just definitely... If I can't button mash my way through it, then what am I even good for? <laughs> exactly. But oh, it's funny. We'll have, we can have a go when, uh, when we're back. And then, obviously, I've still been playing Animal Crossing because I just play that every day, so... Nice. We have hit our first Patreon goal. Woo-hoo! We now have opened a Discord server for all of our patrons. So if you become a patron, you can join the server and get in on the chat. And there's some lovely folks in there. There's lovely conversations happening. And I'm really excited about having like lovely talk with our little community Yay! that we're building. Yeah, it's me too. It's going to be so lovely. In fact, I forgot to... I forgot to take a picture of my recording setup to send oh, do to it. the Discord chat, so I'll do it now Yay. and say, say we're recording and say hello. Yay. I'm saying, excuse the messy paint table, but hello from inside episode 17. <laughs> it's so lovely. And I had a conversation with Rich last night, and this might be TMI, but I was like, I just love that people are talking to each other, but also I don't want to be like overbearing podcast moment, like jumping on all the conversations. <laughs> <laughs> So if you think I'm being overbearing podcast mum, please let me know and I will back off. But right now I'm like, everyone's talking and I want to get involved. <laughs> Is we going to like pop in and be like, anybody need some snacks? <laughs> you good? Oh God. Yeah. So cute. Patrons at any level get access to the Discord server. So yeah, if you want to join us, please do. And also thank you to Melissa who helped us when we were having ridiculous technical difficulties on Sunday, when we were having the worst fucking day ever, when everything kept going wrong and we were trying to get the Discord up and we were, I was like messaging Melissa on Patreon being like, can you help us? Can you test this link? <laughs> and yeah, thank you for being patient with us, Melissa. We got there in the end. Definitely. Uh, another exciting thing that is happening for patrons is that our interview that we are doing tomorrow with Russell Dodgson, who is the VFX supervisor on the TV series, that will be coming out on the 13th of May for patrons, provided we get it edited in time. And then it'll be a week later for everybody else. So if you do become a patron, you will get early access to episodes like that and some bonus content on there as well. If you want to become a patron, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash HDM pod. No? Yeah, that's right. I yes. was just waiting to see if you were going to get it right. <laughs> I never say the Patreon bit, so I always get it wrong. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash HDM pod. Smashed it. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Also, how great was that segue from Discord into interview? Loved it. That's Fucking it. loved it. Segue queen over there. Uh, and me not being so good at segways I'm just gonna say to you as well but Rich and I were having a conversation about how different all of the book covers are that we've seen like we've seen so many people send us copies of the books that they're reading just to say that they're reading along with us and we've noticed that there's like a million different covers so we were going to ask you guys whatever cover you might have for Northern Lights send it in send it to us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at hdmpod or you can email it to us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. We just really want to see that different cover artwork. And I love seeing how, I, I could just Google it, but no, I want to see how people's books are faring because my book is so bad and it needs company in yeah, the Bad yeah, Book Club. Yeah. 
<laughs> Mine's getting there. Uh, um, also, our, fr- our friend Claire, who has Mr. Wilson, the dogger, who we actually tweeted about today because Claire started listening now, she sent me a picture of the books because she was asking whether they were the right versions when she was buying them because she's never read them before. And she has really, like, it's really different cover art and I'd not seen it before. So, Claire, when you get to this episode, please send us that picture again because we'll share yeah. it and we want to see it. <laughs> Yeah, I love seeing those differences. And I, there's, yeah, there's something so great about seeing it on the actual book and having it sent by a listener that it's going to be so much more special than me just Googling to look at the different cover art. Definitely. Yeah, we want to see what you got going on, so send it in. Do it. Yeah. Hey, Faye. Hey. What's your demon been this week? Oh, I was, I was doing this yesterday and I was like, I've been feeling like really lethargic recently. I think it's because I've been like, I've not been exercising as much and I don't really do much exercise anyway, but I try and go for a, a, a walk every day at least. I haven't really been doing that because I've been super busy, which is bad because I should, you should always make time for it if you can. But I am awful at it. I uh, just don't leave the house for days at a time. Yeah. And I did that before the lockdown. It is, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, no, it's, it's one of the things that it, it does make, I, I was ca- when I said you, I was kind of referring to me because obviously everyone has their own relationship with like exercise and going outside. It's not for everyone. But for me, it helps me a lot when I'm feeling like depressed and anxious, which I think is just my state of being in this entire pandemic. And I haven't been doing it because I've been really busy and I'm like, I haven't got time. And it's like, well, I just need to make time. But anyway, so... Because of that, I've been feeling really lethargic and it's kind of snowballed, snowballed into like, I've not been eating really well, like I've not really been moving around a lot. So I've been feeling really lethargic. And yesterday when I was doing my notes, I was like, I just think my demon would be a slug. It's <laughs> like, so yeah, I was like, it'd be a slug because I've been really lethargic and I feel like a fucking slug. So this week my demon's a slug. <laughs> I am going to send you some pictures from an artist that does these really, really beautiful banana slugs. But she, so they're like really lovely, like sewn velvet banana slugs. And the the slime trail is made out of like glittery paillettes, like sequins. And they're really like glam slugs. And so I feel like if you wear a slug, you'd be a glam slug. And I'll send you a photo of one so that you feel better about your sluggishness. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I am looking forward to that. What would your demon be, Rich? Is it different this week? Or are you still on the house cat hype? I felt the need to change the house mm. cat hype up a bit. And I was looking through a bunch of different animals and I've got some really great ideas for future weeks. Okay, um, great. In my search, I came across this amazing thing called a smoky jungle frog. Wow. It's a big ass frog and it intermittently screams. <laughs> yes and it feels so perfect for right now so basically the only videos you'll really find like that pop up immediately on google of this frog this poor fucking frog he just wants to live his life but people found out that this frog screams it's not just the one frog it's like a whole type of frog (laughs) making it sound like everyone's (laughs) after this one frog but um, people find out that they they scream as like a defense mechanism to warn the (laughs) other frogs in the area so people keep going around and picking up these frogs and the frog's going <laughs> and they go, oh yeah, it does scream. And it also sounds a bit like a cat. So it sounds like half scream, half meow. I very much feel like I'm hiding in my little hole and hiding away from the world. And every time the world comes and pokes at me, or someone rings the doorbell, or the news tries to like worm its way into my head, all I want to <laughs> do is a little screamy frog scream. Yeah. That's and a so, great one. yeah, a large, intimately screaming frog that just wants to be left alone is my demon. <laughs> The smoky jungle frog. 
That might be the fucking best one so far. I love that a lot. It's so good. I feel like a lot of people will relate. <laughs> I would say to look up the videos of this frog online, but genuinely it made me a little bit sad because I was just like, leave the frog alone. Yeah. He screams when he's unhappy. Yeah. So why are you poking him? I'm not happy about that bit of it, that there's like no. just people poking this poor frog. But yeah. great choice for a demon. Yeah. I love that it's a thing. <laughs> Should we get into it? Let's get into it, yeah. Okay. Last chapter, Lyra headed into the ceiling to spy on an important meeting in the conference room. She was discovered spying on the meeting and the men decided to silence her by cutting Pan away and it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Coulter found her and saved the day. Suspicious. It was very strange. This chapter, Lyra tricks Mrs. Coulter, runs away and causes an explosion that basically destroys the entire station. She's reunited with Egyptians, Yorick and Lee, and a battle breaks out. She escapes in Lee's balloon with Lee, Yorick and Roger with help from the witches. So much happens this chapter. Ah, so much. So much. Let's take it back. Take it back to the beginning of the chapter. What is happening? So. Oh my God. Lyra wakes up and she's moaning as if she'd been pulled out of some like freezing water. Because remember, she's just nearly had pan cut away. And she's in Mrs. Coulter's room and she fell asleep. She's just been through some pretty serious trauma. Definitely, yes. Yeah. Pan's laying on her bare skin inside her clothes and he's loving her back to herself. Aww. I know. Did it remind you of like when people give birth and they always put babies, like they say that they need uh, to have skin, like... skin on skin. Yeah. Kind of reminded me of that I a little bit. I had not thought of that, but now that you've made me think of that, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's weird. I don't know what the connection is, but it just that's just what came to my brain when I thought of it. Yeah. So I'll just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it weird. So she's having this, like, beautiful moment with Pan. They're, like, clinging to each other. They're trying to, like, reassure one another. It's, things are okay. They've been through this trauma together. But then this whole time they're aware of Mrs. Coulter being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's busily preparing a drink of something in the background and the golden monkey whose hard little fingers had run swiftly over Lyra's body when only Pan could have noticed and who had felt around her waist the oilskin pouch with its contents. Yeah. Is he just skimming her clothes and checking for stuff or is he breaking the taboo here? Um. And also is the taboo just out the window now? Like it's weird because I assume it's when Lyra's kind of passed out or like really unaware of what's going on that only Pan would notice. But then like... That's a really interesting question because I'd not really thought of that. If Pan did notice that that was happening, surely he would have done something or had some kind of reaction. Because like we saw the reaction in the last chapter where that guy grabbed Pan and it was fucking horrific. Yeah. Yeah, that is really interesting. I can't believe I didn't think of that. I think maybe it was it was because it was a demon touching a human that I just it just didn't like register in my brain as that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, even if he was, like, just skimming her clothes, and isn't that breaking the taboo as well? Does it have to be, like, bare skin? Like, does it have to be the human initiating the touch with the demon? If the demon touches you, is that all right? I don't 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 know. know. It just kind of threw me off a bit, considering last chapter they made such a big deal of it, and I don't know. No, yeah, definitely. (laughs) I'm intrigued. Yeah. So Mrs. Coulter tells Lyra to drink what she's made for her, and then... Pan, like, thinks to Lyra. This happens a few times in this chapter. Yeah. And why have they not been doing this 
the whole time. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was trying to think back and I didn't do a good job, to be honest, of looking back as to whether this had happened before. Like, I think we've seen like inklings of of bits like this, but not where like they've directly like telepathically communicated. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that's a thing. Why aren't people and demons doing this all the time? Yeah. Like, why do they ever need to talk out loud? Yeah. Each other. Yeah. It's I'm just being thrown off by so many things and we're like only a couple of fucking lines into this chapter. <laughs> this long ass chapter. <laughs> oh, yeah. <God. laughs> so Lyra, she's sobbing and it's all kind of hitting her really, isn't it? All the trauma. And I really hate that she feels shame for sobbing. I kind of get it because obviously she doesn't want to do it in front of Mrs. Coulter. I think that's the main source of her shame. But also I'm like, please don't feel shame for crying. Crying is normal. Like you've just been through a lot and I'm surprised you haven't cried up until this point. Yeah. <laughs> Pan says that they have to, like, he, he, they're only safe as long as they pretend and actually her crying works for that yeah. situation. Yeah. Like crying and playing up the crying will work for her in this situation. So she shouldn't, like, A, she shouldn't feel ashamed anyway, but also she can use it to her advantage and that's good. Yeah, definitely. And then Mrs. Coulter mops her eyes and tells her to cry as much as she needs to. And then Lyra's determined to stop as soon as she can, as soon as Mrs. Coulter said that. (laughs) She's like, you know what? No. No, not for you. Yeah. Not for you. (laughs) Now you've said it's okay, I'm going to do the complete opposite. Thank you very much. Exactly. Yeah. So Pan sniffs the drink and knows that it's harmless. And I was just, another thing that threw me off, I was like, how? Like, surely if you were going to poison someone or whatever it could be, wouldn't it, it wouldn't be detectable with a sniff, right? Like, Mrs. Colt is not stupid enough to, like, pour some fucking bleach in a mug, do you know what I mean? (laughs) I don't know. I also, like, we know that Pan's not good at detecting that stuff because Larry definitely drank sleeping pills, like, two chapters ago. That's very true. Pan says it's fine and they just happen to be lucky that it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a chamomile tea, which is cute and it's very the stuff that's kind of all coming up with mrs colter now being very performatively motherly and performatively like caring is really interesting chamomile tea is kind of like the epitome of it like she is an absolutely atrocious human being who enjoys watching children being ripped apart from their demons Mm -hmm. but she's just going to make you a nice little soothing chamomile tea to calm your nerves you poor frail child and And mop your eyes and creepy (laughs) yeah oh god yeah super creepy Super creepy. So Lyra drinks it and she knows that she's about to have to like pretend the hardest she's ever done in her life because she knows that there is going to be like loads of questions coming from Mrs. Coulter. Mm-hmm. Her and Mrs. Coulter have a conversation about uh, what happened to Lyra when she left. Throughout which there's references to the fact that Coulter is stroking Lyra's hair. Yeah. And I do not know how she is able to keep her cool while somebody she hates so much is like petting her. Yeah. I'm not okay with it. No, same. <laughs> same no i would be absolutely it would take every ounce of my strength not to like slap her hand away and be like don't touch me yeah absolutely she kind of tells the story she was like taken by a man and a woman who were guests at the party then she was caught by the gobblers and she's getting she finds that she's getting strength from her lies with every second that went past with every sentence she spoke she felt a little strength flowing back and now that she was doing something difficult and familiar and never quite predictable, namely lying, she felt a sort of mastery again. The same sense of complexity and control that the alethiometer gave her. So she just really loves lying and she's super good at it. I love it. Yeah. And he refers to it, she had to be an artist yeah. in order to do this. And it's like, yeah, that's it's so perfect. And I love that 
the thing that she's used as a defense mechanism, the thing that's going to save her now is this thing that she is so good at and that she clearly enjoys. Yeah. She enjoys lying and I kind of love that and she enjoys storytelling. But also, like, well done for keeping your cool. In theory, the guy, the man and the woman take, like, taking her at the party, her running away, getting caught by the gobblers, that's fine. But then <laughs> her journeys along the canals with the Egyptians had taken, like, weeks. So she has <laughs> to just account for a bunch of lost time. At which point she's like, oh... Well, then I went with the gobblers to Trollisund and then I escaped. And like, then I worked as a maid of all work in the bar. And then I worked for farm. And like, she's invented so many different things that any of these, it's fortunate Coulter just doesn't actually give a shit. Yeah. Because if she was like, oh, what, what? who are the family of farmers? We must send mm. them a gift, gift yeah, basket to yeah. thank them for looking after you. Like yeah. any picking or prying at this story whatsoever would have just completely unraveled it, I think. Well, <laughs> do you think that Mrs. Coulter believes her? Surely not, right? Yeah, she probably doesn't give Because like, she sent the spy flies after her and one escaped. So assume, we're assuming that that one went back to Mrs. Coulter, right? That's true. So I'm just saying you're, you're completely right. Like Mrs. Coulter does not give a flying fuck. But also, I don't think she believes her either. And I don't even know, really know why she's asking her. I also am now thinking, because Mrs. Coulter is about to spout off some of her own web of lies. Yeah. And I wonder if she's too busy thinking about how she's going to lie to Lyra to get Lyra to stay. Yeah. To actually listen to what Lyra is lying to her to <laughs> be able to escape. <laughs> like They're both just too busy thinking up their own Like mother, like daughter. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah, because then Lyra asks, starts asking questions, doesn't, doesn't she? So she asks why the people are cutting away demons. And Mrs. Coulter, she keeps trying to avoid the question, basically. Um, and then Lyra keeps pushing it. Um, and then Lyra mentions dust. She says, it's dust, isn't it? And then that's when Mrs. Coulter starts to pay attention and asks if the doctors or the... I don't know if we call them doctors, the people in... The station, the horrible she calls them, men. She calls them doctors, yeah. but I, I think that's a pretty... It's a stretch. Yeah, it's a stretch. That's the word. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> she just says that all the kids know it. Like, it doesn't matter if the, one of the doctors told her. Like, all the kids talk about it. Grown-ups aren't as good at keeping secrets as they think they are, so... And she also, she says, um, because they've nearly done it to me, you've got to tell me you've got no right to keep it secret anymore. Yeah. Coulter then spouts off some real patronizing stuff so the the bit here where she says it's not something for children to worry about i was like big difficult ideas fuck off i was like mrs (laughs) coulter have you never read a fucking book like you should never underestimate children ever no i'm not happy about that yeah mrs coulter she's doing a really great job of being a brilliant villain right now because i really hate her despite the fact that i am definitely a bit in love with her so there's that (laughs) What a healthy relationship. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Woohoo. We get this great description of dust from the eyes of Coulter and therefore yeah. from what we can then infer, this is the view that the rest of the Magisterium and the CCD and all that kind of yeah. departments seem to have. Yeah. The doctors do it for the children's own good, my love. Dust is something bad, something wrong, something evil and wicked. Grown-ups and their demons are infected with dust so deeply that it's too late for them. They can't be helped. But a quick operation on children means that they're safe from it. Dust just won't stick to them ever again. 
they're safe and happy. And then Lyra thinks of Tony Makarios and is a little bit sick in her mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, at which point Coulter is like, oh, are you all right? And like, she like um, pulls away from Lyra. And like, ew, don't be sick on me, child. Yeah. Which is like the gauze like slipping from yeah. her being this like lovely caring woman. She's like, ew, don't be sick on me. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, like Lyra nearly fucking throwing up is just her calling bullshit on the whole thing that she's just said. She's like, yeah, you're going to say all this shit. I remember what happened to Tony Macarius and it almost makes me throw up. So yeah. <laughs> but um, referring to it as something wrong, evil and wicked. It's mm. so, it's all very religious religious language yeah it's very like Mm. damning religious kind of language around that like something being referred to as wicked specifically yeah is very rooted in a lot of like things that are quite of like words you'd use about people yeah damning and definitely do you think it's got uh something to do with like sex and sexuality and things like that that's how i always kind of read it do you know because they talk about this it happens at puberty and I thought I just thought to myself the kind of main thing that happens when children hit puberty is that obviously their body goes through a lot of changes and they're changing into an adult but they're also coming into their sexuality and learning about themselves as a sexual being and I always wonder when I re- read this book is that what they're trying to get at, get at here? Oh a hundred percent definitely yeah. if we skip forward to where she's talking about that she says your demon's a wonderful friend and companion when you're young but at the age we call puberty the age you're coming to very soon darling demons bring all sorts of troublesome thoughts and feelings and that's what lets dust in and i think it's people blaming demons for their own shame around their own sexual yeah like their own sexuality because and it, it's all it's all super like super deep-seated in a lot of stuff that happens to do with organized religion and mm. Um, inducing shame in young people yeah. when they become of an age where they are having feelings or, and thoughts of like a sexual nature. That's just mm-hmm. how. <laughs> Let's just repress everything. Yeah, but then um, I'm, I'm here and I'm yeah. like, where is the sex education, guys? Where is it? Where is it in the curriculum? I don't think it's in the curriculum in fucking Lyra's Oxford, is it? Do you know what I mean? Like Definitely in that not. world. Like this is it, honestly. I'm not a religious person and... I don't understand a lot of religion and this is one of the things that I don't understand about it and it just blows my mind that there can be such shame and like repression around it that's taught. <sighs> Hate it. Not here for it. Why why are we blaming demons for this as well? Yeah, it's one they just want to pin it on something, don't they? It's like yeah. they're kind of this whole thing, they're kind of clawing at something. They want a reason for it and they want to be able to solve it in their mind, like in inverted commas. And they're, they're, they're just like clutching at anything to be able to do that. And they think that they've got this way to do it. Yeah. And originally by saying that demons and dust are the things that bring the troublesome thoughts and feelings into your life, before they started even thinking about cutting them away, they were trying to control people with shame yeah. by saying that these feelings and thoughts are troublesome and are shameful. And you go, okay, so controlling people by telling them that their actions a shameful or sinful that's not working well enough for us now we're going to try and find a way to just stop them from ever having those feelings and so they're easy to control yeah and also i know that this is the point but hypocrite much mrs coulter did you not have a fucking affair a lot of the prejudices that come from her are rooted in her own personal sense of shame yeah and the fact that she i would love for her to be the like strong independent woman that she is without what am I trying to say? If she didn't feel shame for the affair and 
the pregnancy and all of these things that surrounded it, she probably would be an amazing, strong female heroine yeah. in this story. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that is what she's been through is kind of badass. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that having an affair is super great, but <laughs> I mean, if she's able to like own the situation that she's been in, because she feels so much shame around it, she's basically using it as fuel to like propel her forwards in yeah. oppressing and other people. We spoke about this in an earlier chapter, I think, in the chapter where we found out about uh, Mrs. Coulter having the affair and we spoke about there are many reasons why people choose to have an affair and we don't know what the situation was with Mrs. Coulter and her then husband. So mm. we we cannot judge that and I, I don't think we would ever do that. But I was kind of thinking then when you were saying about if she didn't feel this shame, then we she'd probably be a heroine in the story. And I got to thinking, can you fucking imagine how amazing a like sexually liberated Mrs. Coulter would be? I don't, right? I don't think I'd be able to read it, Rich. <laughs> I think I'd be too hot under the collar, to be honest. I don't think I could get through that. Yes. We've got on like a full Coulter sidetrack, which is absolutely fine with me. Um, <laughs> I do want to kind of bring us back to the chapter. Okay, um, do that. So if we skip way back to where we were talking about the dust being wicked and wrong, mm-hmm. Lyra does say, if it is so bad, why why wouldn't you let them do it to me? Yes. Why not let them do it to me? Which is perfect logic for this argument. Absolutely. I really enjoy it. Yep, 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 definitely. Mrs. Coulter shakes her head and smiles. A sad, wise smile. Ugh. Um, <laughs> yeah. And... She talks about how some of what's good has to hurt us a little and naturally it's upsetting for others if you're upset, but that doesn't mean your demon's taken away from you. So I think what she says here is like, I don't want to see you go through any kind of pain yeah, because you mean something to me. I feel connected to you. But for everyone else, a little bit of pain is okay if it's for the greater good. Mm. And that's where mm. she reveals that a lot of the grown-ups at the station have had the same operation. Yeah. And Lyra immediately thinks of this, like, strange, blank, incurious nurses with their trotting little demons. And now we know why in earlier chapters they gave her the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. She had, like, a weird feeling around them. So we popped a pin in that, and you can take that pin out, because now we know. Yeah, take the pin out. (laughs) But also Mrs. Coulter's hypocrisy throughout this whole chapter with uh, what we were just talking about with her having the affair and then her saying to Lyra that she didn't, she in so many words that she doesn't want it to happen to Lyra because that's kind of too close to home for her. It's an interesting allegory for um, politicians and the world that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just like reading it like, hmm, this sounds fucking familiar. Yeah. Yeah, it's everything's okay as long as it's not on your doorstep. Is unfortunately what a lot of our politicians live by, which is upsetting. I'm not going to go off. I could have gone off on a tangent, but I'm not going to because no, it's Mrs. Coulter one. the fact that we're feeling such strong feelings about characters in this book that wield power within the political system of this book is a really great testament to how well Philip Pullman has written the politics of yeah. this book and the fact that. I have grown up to have the opinions that I have now as an adult. I do attribute a lot of that to having read these books, to having read Harry Potter and to having read, just read a lot of novels as a kid because the moral structures within those and the way that they, so many of the novels that I read growing up point out flaws in political systems 
Yeah. And organised patriarchal systems is part of the reason that I'm a feminist. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Also, I don't mean, I don't want to put a downer on that because it's great and I agree with it. But also it's kind of sad that these books, like His Dark Materials and like Harry Potter and a bunch of other books like this were written like 20 years ago and still nothing has changed. Yeah. Except for the fact that the people that grew up reading them are hopefully the people that are going on to help shape the future. Yeah, I think, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. right. I'm sorry, I, I took us on a political tangent. Right. Mrs. Coulter says that whilst they'd never take Pan away, they would give him back to her. And she knows that, Lyra knows that she's like downright lying because she saw Tony and she saw the demons. But she says that Pan would be like the best, a wonderful pet, the best pet <sighs> in the world. Wouldn't you like it? And Lyra's not only like, okay, so I know you're lying. That's not what you do. I've yeah. seen the things. But also, like, you're going to reduce a shard of my soul yeah. that lives on the outside into a little trotting pet. It's fucking... No, thank you. Vile. <laughs> so vile. Horrendous. Awful. No. Hate it. I just hate it. I just fucking hate it so much. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Horrendous. The idea that she thinks it's okay. And the idea that... She, Mrs. Coulter, has grown up with her demon, a part of her, we can only assume. And all of the people in power have grown up with their demons, a part of them. And they're just making this decision for people mm. and going, yep, yeah, we theorise that that's bad. So we'll just cut them away and, you know, whatever about the consequences and people will be fine with it. People like pets, right? It'll be like a nice pet. And it's like, no, imagine you yourself being in that situation and it makes me wonder about Coulter's relationship with the monkey i was just gonna say the same thing yeah if she'd rather her monkey was a little trotting pet then oh my goodness yep. <laughs> that poor that poor monkey and i think as well like we have had hints throughout the books that there's some kind of uh what's the word like disharmony between mrs Coulter and the demon and the little monkey prick because they don't talk to each other like we haven't heard the monkey talk and that says something huge like what's going on there yeah and we have not yet ever heard her name him yeah he he does not have a name we well, don't know what he's called and if you think about the fact that every single person you meet they refer to their demon as my so and so my so and so they have these like spectacular names and stuff it adds to the fact that the monkey is a scary bastard um yeah it does but also it is really odd that she doesn't refer to him as like my. She just never really refers. Yeah, to him I was ever. gonna say she. I don't. I can't remember a time where she's actually referred to him. He's just there. Yeah. Lyra and Pan are obviously fucking livid about this, and then it says Pan becomes a polecat, the most ugly and vicious of all his forms. And I Google polecats, and they're pretty fucking cute. They're really cute. <laughs> like <laughs> I can understand like vicious, but like ugly. It's a bit harsh. They're I mean, really turn into a blobfish if you're gonna be ugly oh <laughs> i think blobfish are quite cute as well they are aren't they <laughs> but yeah it's a bit of a i mean now we know how philip pullman feels about polka right yeah <laughs> not his favorite at all yeah so uh they say nothing to this and mrs coulter tells her to drink her chamomile tea uh, and she says that lyra should sleep in that uh room with her because there's no point in her going back to the dorms yeah, she also refers to Lyra as my favourite. I'd like to point out that whilst she's being loving and caring and all of this stuff, at no point does she say the words, I care deeply for you, Lyra. I love you, Lyra. Yeah. You mean a lot to me. Any of the things that would show any kind of 
genuine levels of affection. Yeah, she says <laughs> she, she calls her the best. Yeah, she calls her the best assistant in the world, and she says that she missed her, but it's just so insincere. Mm-hmm. I'm ugh, not here for it. And then the little monkey prick is being restless and he's kind of betraying Mrs. Coulter's impatience. He's like pacing around and all that stuff while Mrs. Coulter's trying to keep the like really calm, like sweet side of herself going with Lyra. So like he's betraying her impatience and she can't take it anymore. So she then asks Lyra about the Elysiometer. She's pretty sneaky and she kind of uses her words wisely here, but... Basically, she tells Lyra that she wants it, but she, like, fucking beats around the bush about it for ages. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> I just love that because Lyra's seen, she knows that Mrs. Coulter is full of shit. She knows that Mrs. Coulter is, an, is a liar and a manipulator, so no matter how hard Mrs. Coulter lies or manipulates to Lyra now, Lyra will not be tricked. Yeah. She just sees through all of it, and you can just feel Lyra, like, rolling her eyes as Coulter's saying this, because Philip's done a really good job of... um making her language like flowery enough and yeah. sweet enough and sickly enough that as a reader now that you know that cult is bad you're like ugh, ugh. yeah exactly yeah but you would have read it the other like couple of chapters ago when we were like when we didn't know this you would have read it yeah. in a completely different way and that is great we love you philip you do such a great job yes so lyra asks why asriel shouldn't have the alethiometer mrs coulter says uh, because of what he's doing. You know he's been sent away to exile because he's got something dangerous and wicked in mind. He needs the Elysiometer to finish his plan. But believe me, dear, the last thing anyone should do is let him have it. The Master of Jordan was sadly mistaken. So we're kind of being poisoned against Azrael here. Not that we need it, because I think we pretty much already are. Yeah. We know that whatever Azrael is doing... If Mrs. Coulter is against him, it's likely that Azriel is trying to do something good in a very broad right? sense of the way of the word. Sorry, it's a very Coulter bad. Coulter does not like Azriel, therefore Azriel good. Yeah, and I think that's the general feel about Azriel, and that's why I've kind of wanted to call it out as we've gone along because a character can be seen as being a good character or a hero, but still be a dick. I 100% don't think Azrael is a hero in any way. This might be spoilery, depending on how far into it we go. I think one of the really brilliant things about these books is that even though consistently one of the characters wants to think of Azrael as a hero, you can read these books and absolutely not see him as a good person in any way, shape or form. Yeah. I genuinely don't even think he's the lesser of two two Mm. evils. I'm interested to have... Some very extensive Azrael conversations as the books yeah. go on. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if I'd have uh, like if I'd have read these as a kid, if I would have had a different opinion. But you know, because Lyra holds him up so much, I wonder if I would have identified with Lyra, probably being a, a young girl around her age, and held him up as much as she does because she was holding him up so high. But as an adult reading it, I'm like, he's a fucking dick, mate. Definitely. I think it's a lot of a lot of the characters are just written in ways that are fundamentally flawed, just like people, and that's what's yeah. that's part of what's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. and that's definitely an Asriel thing. As as a grown up reading about him, you can see those flaws a lot more easily than you perhaps could as a child. So I definitely think I thought of him as like a fun uncle when I was reading it mm-hmm. when I was like Lyra's age. Yeah, yeah. So moving on again from that tangent. Yes. <laughs> uh, Lyra wonders how she ever found Mrs. Coulter so fascinating and clever after what she just said about Asriel and just the whole general mm-hmm. conversation that's been that's 
she's been having. And she asks Lyra to give her the alethiometer and she starts to unfasten it from around Lyra's waist without her it's consent. so presumptuous. Mm, yeah, not Just into that. so like, ew. <laughs> But then I was thinking, do we know why she wants it? Does she just want it yeah. so that Asriel doesn't get it? That's all we know so far, right? We don't know anything else. We get the impression it's for it's for something else. Yeah. But um, we don't really know. And it is just weird that that seems to be her aim more than Lyra, because I yeah. genuinely thought she was more interested in getting Lyra back than the Iliotheometer until this moment. Yeah. Yeah, very true. So the little monkey prick... He's trembling with anticipation at the end of the bed. God, I hate him. And <laughs> Mrs. Coulter takes Lily Alethiometer and she starts to open it. And here's when we found, find out why Lyra made that little tin with Yorick. Take but- that pin out. Yeah. Find that pin, take it out. Take we it put a pin out. in this. Yeah, what a clever girl to think yeah. at some point someone's going to try and take this away from me and I need a decoy for yeah. when that happens. Because I don't think she knew who or when or why, but she, she was like, knew. a decoy would be a useful thing to own. Yeah, definitely. And how bloody lucky that she just didn't have the alethiometer on her and that she I thought know. to hide it in the ceiling. That's a, that's a fluke. I know, <laughs> truly. So her and Pan get ready to run. They kind of like poise themselves to get ready to get the fuck out there. And then Mrs. Coulter's like trying to get in it. She's like asking why it's been soldered. Oh, why has it got loads of like fucking grass in it and shit? And she gets like a little knife out to like... She is blinded by her own greed because if she stopped for even half a second to think about what she was doing, she'd be like, that's not what an alethiometer is shaped like. Yeah. I would imagine that she maybe knows approximate sizes and approximately how one looks. I don't know. She'd surely twig that something was awry if she stopped to even think, but she's so greedy. She's just like (laughs) getting in there. Yeah. And then she opens the tin and there's like a buzzing sound and we know obviously that the spy flies in there. The uh, Mrs. Coulter's like really puzzled and the monkey leans in close to look at it and it fucking flies in his face. Yeah. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) And he is obviously hurt and Mrs. Coulter's hurt too. So the spy flies like attacking them and Lyra and Pan run out of the door and away from that room um, and Lyra's like smashing all the fire alarms as she goes to yes. initiate the plan that all the kids know is happening. Which is a bit sooner than I think she thought she was going to have yeah. to do it, right? Yeah, definitely. And they're near the kitchen and Pan has an idea and she turns on all the gas taps and uh, they're like nearest burner. And then, right, did you know that this was a thing with flour? <laughs> I did because uh, one of my favourite books is Monstrous Regiment by Terry Pratchett in which they blow up the side of a castle by lighting a bakery on fire because of the fire igniting. I had no idea. I googled it (laughs) to check that it was true and I was like, what the fuck? So if I flew, flew? If I threw a flower into the air and lit lit it on fire, it would explode. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, it's to do with the fact that it is, um, it's, it's something to do with physics. So, flour and many other carbohydrates become explosive when they are hanging in the air as dust. Flour grains are so tiny that they burn instantly. When one grain burns, it lights the others near it, and the flame front can flash through a dust cloud with an explosive force. It says just about any carbohydrate dust, including sugar, pudding mix, fine sawdust, etc., will explode once ignited. There we go. I just like, how did I not know this? Like, surely you should be taught that. Like, I don't know, it just seems like a really household thing that can go wrong yeah i mean are there a lot of people that are gonna drop a bag of flour and light a match i don't know but (laughs) what if right what if you are in the kitchen and you're making something and you drop a bag of flour and then you're like fuck's sake and you're really stressed about it so you light a cigarette (laughs) before you clean it up boom i'll remember 
I'll remember not to do that yeah. in the future. Done. Also, I love that this is another one of those moments when, like, Pan thinks a thought to her, like, flashed a thought into her mind. Yeah. And it's just a really arsony thought. <laughs> it's just... They talk about, like, oh, demons are a... I'm starting to question doubting Mrs. Coulter when she says that demons might be a bad influence because <laughs> Pan was like, Lyra, fire good. <laughs> Light this place up. Yeah. And she's just... Throughout the rest of this, I'm just going to keep pointing out, she has not thought this plan through. She has not done a risk assessment. Burning the place to the ground is not a part of the spreadsheet risk assessment that she should have done for her plan. No way. No fucking way. And she's gone from like mischievous setting off the fire alarms and everyone runs outside in the chaos to full on arson. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So quickly. She did it. She just hasn't thought about like all the... Not to like put a like dampener on it, but she hasn't thought about all the people that she could fucking hurt with this, like all the kids oh, and stuff. There's definitely been some casualties in this. Yeah. That are completely innocent. Yeah. Like she is not this plan is not without bloodshed. Definitely not. So she runs towards her dorm. It's pretty much chaos, like all the kids are running around and stuff. And adults are trying to control it as usual, but they can't. There's an explosion that shakes the building. <laughs> And Lyra gets her furs from the ceiling and the alethiometer and runs back into the corridor. Uh, and they're trying to find a way out, but the fires spread really quickly. Again, if she'd have done a fucking risk assessment and a spreadsheet. She hid her furs in the ceiling where she had to push a filing cabinet and climb on it to get the stuff out. We said that's mm-hmm. not actually that handy of a spot to hide things because it's quite hard to get to. And then what she does is she sets a fire, which puts a really fast timer on how fast she's got to push that cabinet, (laughs) climb on it, get in the roof, get her stuff, get dressed and get out. Yeah, yeah. She's really not thought it through. Not at all, not at all. But she just managed to get her furs. And then uh, they're trying to find a way out. Like I said, fire has spread. Part of the roof's fallen in. Fucking, it's chaos. It's chaos. (laughs) She had to escape or die. (laughs) (laughs) Escape or die, right? I mean, that's, that's... As you do. That's a plan. That's a well-executed plan there, Definitely. escape or die. <laughs> I mean, there's only two options, so it's pretty simple plan. Yeah. And people are, like, clambering out. There's another explosion. It knocks some people over, including Lyra. And she picks herself up and hopes that the kids have all, like, found their cold weather clothing. It's just bloody chaos. And... Because she says, like, imagine escaping and then dying of cold, which would be pretty shit, to be fair. Another flaw in Lyra's plan. (laughs) Your risk assessment is not up to par. You've gone from nearly burning alive to freezing to death. Great. Yeah, it's a choice between a hot place and a cold place. (laughs) So there's a massive fire now. Lyra's out on the roof and she sees Roger and calls him. And luckily Roger hears her because I'm imagining there's a lot of noise going on. Mm. And uh, she tells him to tell all the kids to go with her. And just dumps all of this information that just shook her world and traumatised her on him in like one verbal vomit. Yeah. She's just like, oh, by the way, they cut people's demons away. Oh, you know, because you saw the other demons in the cage. Like, it's just a thing. But also tell everyone to run away because it's totally going to happen to you all if you don't run away now. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, uh... Oh my, what? (laughs) But he deals with it so well. It kind of like shakes him up for a second and then he's like, okay, cool, I'll I'll help you. And it's just classic Roger. I love Roger. I just think it's a lot for Lyra to expect him to process in a really short amount of time. (laughs) I think that's part, that's like their relationship though, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Lyra doesn't think about how things might affect Roger. He's just kind of there for her to do whatever with, which is a bit upsetting, but 
thing. Yeah. It's, it's very kid-like relationship, isn't it? When you don't really think of the impact that you're having on the other person. Yeah. So she's she tells them that there's a rescue coming for them, but she doesn't know how soon this rescue is coming and she's about to get real lucky. Yes, she <laughs> is. So the kids follow Lyra and the adults are shouting, more of the buildings falling in, fucking hell. And then she hears the howl of the Tartar's wolf demons. Which she totally didn't put into her plan at all. She didn't think about that. Yeah. They appear and she says that you can't see their eyes and their demons were like slavering. Yeah. And also that she's more scared of her demons than she would have been before she knew how little people think of the taboo in the station. Yeah, definitely. She's scared of thinking about their teeth, like, biting her. Um, And then the Tartars stand in a line across the entrance. And then, obviously, the kids can't fight soldiers, so what the fuck are they going to do? And then she thinks about, like, she's fucking throwing snowballs at him. Which is just great. I fucking love that something so childish actually works and takes down. So, like, think about these Tartar soldiers. They've been training for years and years and years, and they're very regimented. And they're doing their thing always and like we learned in last chapter they're always on guard and they fill in like meticulous like reports about what they've been doing and then they just get fucking shafted by some snowballs and i love it so much Mm -hmm. so great i love it i love um the way they describe the demons helping so in order to properly take out the soldiers for long enough for it to be worth anything and not just throwing a snowball for no reason you've got to hit them in the slot in their helmet yeah so that you temporarily blind them and so people's demons are joining in by like giving like turning into birds and giving us snow the snowball like a kick in the right direction and like pushing giving it a bit more momentum to make sure it splats in the eye slot of their people so great on that it's it's just so sweet i'm just imagining like a little sparrow like kicking it along <laughs> like kicking this snowball like giving it an extra hey yeah <laughs> so great it's really yeah, cute definitely. <laughs> and then the tartars are distracted so the kids like charge through the gates lyra hears the tartars shouting orders and they were taking aim at the kids uh but before they could shoot uh she hears one of them choke and gasp and it's like what is fucking happening here and she turns to see one of them on the ground with an arrow in his back and they can't see who fired it. Um, and then another another arrow comes from the sky. And this is bloody lucky because the fact that there was just a row of people aiming guns at a bunch of children and they she heard the like rifle bolts being pulled back. Like they were ready to shoot when this person got taken down by thank fuck the witches. Yeah. <laughs> but Again, Lyra hadn't thought about this plan. She hadn't thought about the fact that the people that work here probably won't sniff at shooting down a bunch of children that are trying to run away, like, because they are ruthless. Like, she's oh, not... Oh, yeah, exactly. She's not thought it through. No. And it really upsets me. And it's, I'm also... I'm a little bit like, well, if they hadn't come along, Lyra, you'd be in the shit right now. <laughs> exactly, but... But I'm really glad they do, because yeah. obviously I don't want that to happen. <laughs> and we're happy to see the witches, because we haven't met them yet. Yeah, we've only met witches' demons up yeah. till now, so... So, the Tartar in charge uh, in charge orders the squad to run after the kids, and then a monstrous shape hurtles back towards them, and it's Yorick! Yay! Yay! He's, he is absolutely jumping straight into the fray just completely smashing people apart and he slashes at a wolf demon in mid-air and bright fire spills out of her as she falls into the snow where she 
disappears and then her human dies. Mm-hmm. And I'm intrigued by this description of bright fire coming out or spilling out of her before she disappears. Do you think he just means blood? I'm imagining it more like magically. Yeah, I mean... Because if she's going to disappear, that's quite magic. And if... I'm imagining it like, yeah, swooshes of fiery light kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Have we seen someone's demon die before in this book so far? I don't think so. We've seen... Yeah, no, because remember, we have seen a demon disappear because remember, I thought that the quote was... I was reading the quote from this book and it turned out to be from The Secret Commonwealth, but we did see a demon disappear. Yeah. Yes, I remember now when Lyra was being taken away and she was like transfixed by staring at the body as she was being taken away by the Egyptians after they rescued her. Yes. Yeah, we haven't seen them die in this manner, like like you mentioned, like with bright fire coming out of them. I think before we saw the person die and the demon disappear rather than the demon get hurt and the person die. Yeah, it was the other way around, right? So the Tartars divide into two. One one like pack of them are trying to stop the witches and the other is trying to stop Yorick, who is just fucking wreaking havoc and killing people left, right and centre. It says that they were brave and it's really interesting to say that about the opposition. I really love it. It's like of this little section, there's a really short sentence to begin it and a really short sentence to end it. And it's, his troops were magnificently brave. And at the end it says, a moment later they were dead. Yeah. yeah. And it's with not very much in between the two. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice the way that it's kind of put together in terms of like, bravery does not equal surviving. And also bravery does not equal being the good guys or coming out of it better Mm. off. Yeah. And I think as well, it's interesting that they describe them as being brave because they are brave. And in their mind, they're following orders and doing the right thing. Yeah. So I think using that language to describe them is really, it's really good because it makes you think about both sides of the battle and who is fighting for what. And bravery is not just an attribute that can be assigned to the good guys. Yeah. The bad guys can have that attribute also. It's just that their loyalties lie in a different place or that their morality lies in a different place. Yeah. Totally. And morality and bravery aren't necessarily linked. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So Yorick's beating the shit out of everyone. Lyra's trying to get all the kids to move uh, and she tells them that there's a rescue party coming and that they're going to take the kids home. And they then they talk about Yorick killing the demon, which is basically what we've just talked about. But what I find interesting about that is that a kid didn't know that demons could be killed. And it's interesting that that's not common knowledge because it's how... So if you think when you were a kid... You kind of know the basic knowledge of life and death, right? When you get to a certain age, which we assume these kids are because they're just about to hit puberty. So wouldn't you know by like by that age that demons can die? Maybe. That just seemed really off to me. Like I think that you would know the basics of life and death by the time you were 12. Also in terms of like your parents being like, don't let your demon cross the road before you do in case yeah. it gets hit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just in like, like pra- practicality. Yeah. Like, like how to stay alive as yeah. a person. Yeah. yeah. It's, it is interesting. But I mean, maybe some kids, like there are some kids that are just more innocent and naive than others. Mm. Maybe they've just not really wanted to or had to think about it, which is weird considering they've been in Bullfanger for a yeah. while. But mm. yeah. They're all having a chat as they move away from uh, the station, talking about this demon stuff. And then Lyra, 
does the same thing that she did to Roger and just tells them all about the demon cutting and about Tony Macarius. She just spills it all out again to these kids that have already been traumatised. I think that she is relishing the chance to be Lyra again in Mm. front of these kids because she's been playing this Lizzie Brooks part for so long Yeah, or probably... It's only actually a day and a half, a day? It feels like forever. It feels like forever. It's been some long-ass chapters. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, she has been playing this part and I think she's just relishing the fact that she can be Lyra again and she can tell stories again and she can be interesting again. Yeah. She's clearly living it. And I think she's loving the fact that, I mean, technically she only went there to rescue Roger, but she's like, I came to rescue all of you. Yeah. I, I'm i your saviour. Yeah. And like, she's, she's loving it. <laughs> and then Billy's there. I was like, we didn't know this, did we? Like, he's not been called out in this chapter before, before this. I guess not, no. He just appears. It's just assumed that he's one of the kids that's escaped, which is lucky because I'm suspecting that in that fire, there's probably some kids that did not escape. Absolutely. I'm wondering how big this band of children that she's leading through the snow actually is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And their conversation is cut short. They see something happening to the Zeppelin and the Zeppelin's like drooping and then Lee's balloon's rising up behind it. Yay! Yeah, simultaneously... Uh, filling up his balloon while crippling the enemy's means of pursuit, yes. which I, I like. Definitely. Just siphon some of that gas. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> and then Lyra's trying to move the kids on and they're shivering and moaning. And Pan is fucking brutal here. He's so sassy. He's a sassy little arsonist. He really is. He <laughs> says, Pantalaman found... Like, so the kids are like basically freezing to death and they're like moaning and crying and shit and the demons are like moaning. Pantalaemon found this irritating and as a wolverine he snapped at one girl squirrel demon who was just lying across her shoulder whimpering faintly. Getting her coat, make yourself big and warm her up, he snarled and the girl's demon frightened crept inside her coal silk anorak at once. Like, brutal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, I like a little bit down the page, it kind of explains that um, he, as a demon, can kind of maybe get the vibe from other people's demons as to what mm. they need to hear in order to can keep going. And maybe that person's demon just, what, I don't know, just needed a good old talking to. Yeah, it's because, quite fucking brutal though. Yeah. But also like, do do those things. Like it's, it is silly that you're not. And these coats are clearly rubbish. Um, yeah. The children... Some of the children looked like walking puffballs as they were so bulky, but their gear had been made in factories and laboratories far away from the cold and they couldn't really cope. Lyra's furs looked ragged and they stank, but they kept the warmth in. Stinky. (laughs) Stinky Lyra is a warm Lyra. Yeah. Yeah, and these kids are, they're struggling. And I find it really interesting that we've gone from this really intense battle where Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to see what's going on because so much is happening at once to... Essentially, a couple of pages, like a page and a bit, where they're just walking through the snow. Yeah. And trying to keep going. And you've gone from this really intense thing. And some of the kids are saying like, oh, can't we go back to Bolvanger? At least they had hot drinks. <laughs> and they're like, well, it's, it's basically exploded now. So we yeah, definitely can't keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and they're scared, they're scared that they like won't survive unless they keep moving. And like Father Coram and Mrs. Coulter told like Lyra tales of the North and they knew that they have to keep going. It's an interesting quote here. It says, Lyra's mind was full of dark questions that flew around like witches, swift and untouchable, and somewhere, just beyond where she could reach, there was a glory and a thrill which she didn't understand at all. I don't understand either. (laughs) Do you think that it's 
just her being kind of what you were saying earlier, like her being Lyra again and her kind of feeling the like power and what's the other word I'm looking for? The power of like leading these children and like saving these children and maybe she just doesn't understand that yet. Yeah, it could be it could be the hero complex kicking in. Yeah. Yeah. Saviour complex, that's the one, not hero complex. Yeah. yeah. It could be that she's enjoying saving people, but it, it just seems weird because I really love the description of um, her mind was full of dark questions that flew around like witches, swift and untouchable, because that feels so right for the situation of like, have I done the right thing? Mm-hmm. Are we going in the right direction? What's going to happen? Like all of these things that my pessimistic imagination would be bringing up right now. I'd like to think that she's having those, but then the fact that she's feeling this glory and thrill, I think that's maybe the Asriel in her and that's the Coulter in her and the like, the fact that she's being the leader is perhaps what's making her feel that. I don't know. It gives her a surge of strength and she helps a few of them out, pulls some of them out of <laughs> off the ground and shit and tells them to keep going and to follow Yorick's tracks. It started to snow really heavily now. The only light was from the snow and it was cloudy. This is the bit where I think Pan redeems himself for being mean to that girl's demon. Yeah. Because it says, Lyra encouraged, bullied, hit, half carried, swore at, pushed, dragged, lifted tenderly wherever it was needed. And Pantalaemon, by the state of each child's demon, told her what was needed in each case. So I think he was only being harsh to that girl's demon because he could kind of tell that that's what that demon needed yeah, to hear. Yeah, that's what I'm so hoping. Harsh. Yeah, <laughs> she's like yeah. so determined to get them out. And when I was reading this bit, I was like, God, I just love Lyra so much. Imagine yeah. being that selfless as a child. I love the determination, the way that it's written on the page is her saying, I'll get him there. She kept saying to yeah. herself, I come here to get him and I'll bloody get him. <laughs> yes, Lyra. Oh, God. And then Roger and Billy are both helping out, which is sweet. Yeah. Uh, and also, isn't it funny how some characters get full named all the time and others does others don't? So Roger is just Roger, but Billy is Billy Costa. Yeah. And not just Billy. My theory behind this, my on-the-spot theory, my mm. hot take, is uh, Billy Costa is part of the wider Costa family. We've met Mark Costa, we've met Tony Costa, so calling him Billy Costa reminds us about his family link and all the Egyptians whenever mm. he is mentioned, whereas Roger is like a standalone we don't really meet any of his relatives mm. and he's just there as Lyra's Roger. I think we also get, we we talked about how Yorick Bernison gets full named all the time, but I think Lee does oh, yeah. as well, right? That is true. Maybe it's a mark of respect. I don't full know. Name someone. Yeah. 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 It kind of makes me think about Lyra being, because obviously we're seeing this through Lyra's perspective, Lyra being a child. I see it. Childish is the wrong word because I don't want to like diminish it, but it's kind of, what am I trying to say? It's like, to full name someone is a bit childish in a way. Do you know what I mean? I think so. Yeah. Because you, it's, I, yeah, I would agree with that in a lot of ways. I'm trying to think about how I thought of grown-ups as a kid. And I think I would, if I, if I wasn't thinking them of them as so-and-so's mum or so-and-so's dad, um, which was pretty common because I yeah. didn't know par- people's parents' names. Um, <laughs> I was a shy child that never wanted to ask um, then I would probably full name people that I did know because it would feel weird to call them like Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so because that's really formal but you wouldn't like first name them either 
Yeah, yeah. It's true. But you also wouldn't full name them to their face, whereas <laughs> Lyra's regularly like, Yorick Bernison, what do you think of this? Yeah. <laughs> so I quite like the quirk. It's fun. Like, and it's really sweet. Yeah. But anyway, let's get back off that tangent. So it's really snowing now, and they have to hold on to each other to stop themselves from getting lost. And then Lyra's hearing things, like she can hear a drone noise and some howling, and then she's seeing things as well. Uh, she can see lights, and then she wonders, are they ghosts, or have they accidentally gone back round in a circle and like heading back to Volvanga? Yeah, it's interesting. The challenge has gone from fight these people and fight hard to walk in a straight line for as long as you can. I'm yeah. sorry, it's cold. And the lights are little yellow lantern beams, and they were moving... And it's Egyptians. Yay! Oh, and John Farr lifts her up and Father Coram's all laughing. Dad's back and I'm so happy about it. And the Egyptians are all like lifting the kids onto sledges, like looking after them. Tony Costa and Billy Costa are hugging. It's just general lovely feels for everyone. And I think we all, although I just think we needed that, right? After these horrendous, stressful chapters, we just needed that bit of like respite where... They're all back together, even though it's kind of fleeting for this like couple of lines, couple of paragraphs. It's all nice before it, it gets ripped away from us again, but that's fine. Yeah. And then <laughs> that little monkey prick. Uh... <laughs> so she's been hearing this like buzzing sound as well. And literally out of what seems like nowhere, a blow sends her sprawling. And the golden monkey was wrestling and biting at Pan and Mrs. Coulter is somehow just there because yeah what how amazing it's because she's on like a jet ski not a jet ski <laughs> um, a jet ski <laughs> yeah she's on a jet ski uh, she's on a little like a electronic sledge or something a sledge yes yeah. an electronic sledge I don't know why I said like electronic a, a, a motorized a, sledge a jet sledge a jet sledge fucking <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes. but like She's like dragging Lyra towards it and this is like the only time that we've seen her just completely lose face, right? So even when... It's really brutal. Yeah, even when the monkey attacked Pan in the earlier chapters, that was kind of... um, She kind of dealt with that in a way of like, I'm still prim and proper and I'm teaching you a lesson. Obviously it was horrendous, but like I feel this time she's just lost it now and she's just like, you're fucking coming with me, love. She grabs Lyra and walks her back towards her sledge, at which point she shouts a command and it says the snow swirled opened and there was a squad of them armed with rifles. I don't know if that's magic snow that's revealing them or if it just so happens that uh, the breeze, like the wind yeah. has like swished some of the snow aside and suddenly they can see them. But basically, Colt has brought a whole troop of the wolf demon Tartar soldiers with her and by taking Lyra out of the party of Egyptians, she is then able to just allow those soldiers to shoot at random into the snow and doesn't care who they hit. Yeah, 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 horrendous. That is intense. Yeah, yeah. And because they're in a tight group around the sledge, they were harder to shoot at because they might have hit Lyra, the Egyptians might hit Lyra if they tried to shoot at the people on the sledge, whereas because they have like no care whatsoever they're just shooting at random into the snow and Lyra's just like oh the bitterness she felt the tiredness Lyra is so done we don't need this shit right now yeah and she's like screaming for help but nobody can hear her Pan's fighting the monkey and then who was that 
Not Roger. Yes, Roger! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, Roger. I fucking love this so much. He's so pure. I love him so much. Oh, he's just (laughs) battering at Mrs. Coulter like it's going to make any difference. And I just love it that he thinks that it is. Like like you said, it's so pure and innocent that... Oh, I just love it so much. He's such a hero. Yeah, he is. I love him so much. He is, yeah. And then a tartar just swipes at him, though, and just... (laughs) Brushes him away like a fly. Oh, Roger, you're so small. Lyra's in, like, a bit of a dream world, and I had to Google what Phantasmagoria was. Phantasmagoria. Phantasmagoria, yeah, I did not know what that meant. Phantasmagoria is a sequence of real or imaginary images like that seen in a dream. Nice. Yes. It made me think Fantasia, and I was like, oh, it's going to be pretty trippy then. (laughs) Yeah. So, now, Yorick's here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, He attacks the Tartar soldiers, and then something was powerfully pulling Lyra up. So she pulls Roger with her too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just grab that Roger. Take him with you. Yeah. And it's the witches. Yay, witches. The witches are pulling her up, and fucking hell, this is so brutal, but I love it. So... Lyra saw in the air beside her a witch, one of those elegant, ragged, black shadows from the high air, but close enough to touch, and there was a bow in the witch's bare hands, and she exerted her bare pale arms in this freezing air to pull the string and then loose an arrow into the eye slit of a mailed and lowering tartar hood only three feet away. Fucking brutal. The arrow sped in and halfway out at the back, and the man's wolf demon vanished. It went... So far in, it it came out more than halfway at the book. That is is intense. That is, yeah. I love that. (laughs) That is brutal. I fucking love it. It's so great. (sighs) Yes. We don't shy away from brutality and gore in this book. Absolutely not. (laughs) So they are on the back of the witch's cloud pine branch. And then they're on the ground again. uh, And they're next to Lee's balloon. And he tells them to get inside. And I just love how Lee talks. He's so great. He says, skip inside and bring your friend by all means. Have you seen that bear? Oh, Oh, it is. It's cute. There were three witches anchoring the balloon to a rock and Lyra and Roger climb into the balloon. Oh my God, she's finally getting a wish. She's finally getting into the balloon. Yeah, balloon time. And Yorick arrives and gets in the basket. Come on board, old fella. (laughs) How the fuck does Yorick not break that fucking basket? I've... (laughs) It's got to be fucking strong, right? Yeah, I mean, surely it's a pretty strong basket, but we know that he's been in it before. He knows it'll, it'll, ta- it'll take it, it's fine. That's true, that's true. Oh, Yorick. And all that armour as well. Yeah. And uh, a gust of wind clears the air and Lyra sees everything that's going on down below. Um, Fortunately, just to wrap things up, she happens to catch a glimpse of everything being okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just in case you might worry if we yeah. carried on the chapter without knowing. <laughs> it's oh, like a cute the- little roundup. I wanted to like cry at this bit. I was like, Father Corum casting around anxiously, leaning on his stick, his autumn coloured demon leaping through the snow and looking this way and that. And then she screams for him. Father Corum, Lyra cried, over here, the old man heard and turned to look in amazement at the balloon, straining against the rope and the witches holding it down, at Lyra waving frantically from the basket. Lyra, he cried, you're safe, gal, you're safe. As safe as I ever was, she shouted back. Goodbye, Father Coram, goodbye. Take all the kids back home. We'll do that, sure as I live. Go well, my child, go well. Go well, my dear. Oh! oh 
Bye, Dad. Oh, I can't. I'm like getting upset. Like I've got tears in my eyes. Like I just. It's so sweet. I'm glad we have that moment. Yeah, me too. It would have. Yeah. It would have been really frustrating to leave it without that moment. But then that makes me think that we're not going to see him again and I'm going to miss him a lot. And I just, I'm so sad. I love Father Karim so much. Do you know, it's so funny because on my first read through, I was kind of like really nonchalant about it. And I was like, but now I'm like, I would die for you, Father Karim. I would. He is. He's great. Yeah. I just, I love that we get the little wrap up just so that we don't feel too anxious moving forwards about the fate of the Egyptians. Who knows what happens after that, but at least we know that, you know, the Tartars have gone back towards Bolvanger and the Egyptians are helping the children on board the sledges and tucking them in so they don't freeze to death, like with all the furs. And it's just, it's nice, it's nice to know that things will probably be okay at that end. So Lyra is okay to move on and feel that she's done her job and i think that's really important that she has that little bit of closure definitely yeah i, I agree i just need to calm down a little bit so <laughs> breathe breathe the witches let go of the rope and off they go up in the balloon and it launches into the sky like super fast it's like so fast that her and roger are like pressed to the floor and then there's a really funny bit here where we just kind of see the difference between lee and yorick so Lee Scoresby was cheering and laughing and uttering wild Texan yells of delight. Yorick Bernison was calmly unfastening his armour, hooking a deaf claw into all the linkages and undoing them with a twist before packing the separate pieces in a pile. So, like, Lee's like, woohoo, and Yorick's like, no, I'm fine. Not bothered. (laughs) Been been here, done that, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. The witches are, like, flying around them, and Lyra sits up and looks around and sees that the basket's filled with shit basically so like philosophical instruments and all other stuff and then they're in a cloud we make sure that they've all wrapped up in the furs that he's got in the balloon because mm-hmm. it's only going to get colder yeah and he says that there's a witch that's looking for her mm-hmm. or that wants to have a have a talk with her <laughs> lyra thanks yorick for coming and he's just like Mur, oh, i've missed his <laughs> i missed his grumpy yeah. butt I think she's just kind of feeling... She's kind of staring, like, over the rim of the basket, like, wide-eyed in wonder, because mm-hmm. I guess she's having this, like, ma- magical balloon ride just after a really intense, traumatic battle and yeah. one of the most stressful couple of days of her life. So yeah. I'm happy that she gets to have this lovely pause in the pace of the chapter. Oh, yeah, I, I get that. Also, I really like that uh, the weight of Yorick means that the basket's tilted to one side. Yeah, he a heavy boy. He's so heavy. <laughs> Oh, and then Roger's wary of Yorick, but like Yorick just fucking barely noticed him. He could not give less of a shit about Roger. I like that though. That's probably what Roger needs to happen for him to not be nervous. Yeah, definitely. Is for this bear to just ignore him. Yeah. There's a really, you were saying that Lyra was staring out of the basket and there's a really nice description of like what she sees. Directly above them, the balloon swelled out in a huge curve. Above and ahead of them, the aurora was blazing with more brilliance and grandeur than she'd ever seen. It was all around or nearly, and they were nearly a part of it. Great swaths of incandescence trembled and parted like angels' wings beating. Cascades of luminescent glory tumbled down invisible crags to lie in swirling pools or hang like vast waterfalls. Philip, in your descriptions. He loves, a des- he loves to describe the northern lights and he loves to describe a cloud. He loves to make <laughs> me jealous that I've never seen the northern lights. I feel is what is happening here. Yeah, it's so... it's. It's such a lovely break um, mm. to have this lovely calm 
serene description of some really lovely scenery after we've just had quite a stressful bit of fighting and arson and beloved characters potentially getting shot and all of this kind of stuff and it's really nice to just have this kind of breathe and the chapters had that pace where it's kind of gone slow fast slow fast slow and yeah I, I like that and that's kind of what I needed to be able to could absorb all that information at once because it is a lot yeah absolutely so she looks down and she sees the snow rising and then she sees the witches kind of rising through it on their cloud pine branches and they fly up towards the balloon and the archer who has saved Lyra from Mrs. Coulter, uh, she comes right up to the basket. Um, and then it's Serafina Peckler. Yeah. Would you like to hear the description of Serafina Peckler? Yes, please. She was young, younger than Mrs. Coulter, and fair with bright green eyes and clad, like all the witches, in strips of black silk. But wearing no furs and no hood or mittens, she seemed to feel no cold at all. Around her brow was a simple chain of little red flowers. She sat on her cloud pine branch as if it were a steed and seemed to rein it in a yard from Lyra's wondering gaze. Skip some talking. Lyra could see why Father Coram loved her and why it was breaking his Aww. heart. Though she had known neither of those things a moment before, he was growing old. He was an old, broken man. No! And she would be young for generations. Serafina uh, Peckler is the love story of our generation, and oh I really want to see God. it written down. No, I can't. I don't. I already. I've already been sad about Dad once this chapter. I don't I'm need sorry, to be I'm sad about Dad again. again. Also, oh. he's not broken. Don't oh. call him broken. He's not That's broken. so mean. Oh God. <laughs> she asks if Lyra still has the alethiometer, and she calls it the symbol reader as well. So we were saying in an earlier chapter that maybe. Lyra was being a bit condescending towards Yorick when she was calling it the symbol reader, but it just kind of sounds now that it's just something that it's like another name for it that other people have as well. I think maybe the Master of Jordan, when he gave it to her and called it the Alethiometer, maybe he was like scholarly, like Latin naming it. Yeah, maybe. Like it's yeah. like instead of being like, oh, there's a crow, he'd be like, oh, Corvid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know it. I don't know any Latin words. Why did I try to do that? I enjoyed it. Maybe he was like, yeah, giving it the scholarly name, and that's what she learned it as. Mm. Whereas actually, it's got a much more normal name. That's true. People that don't want to speak Latin on a day-to-day basis yeah. use. <laughs> yeah. And then Kaiser arrives. Hi, buddy. Yay! Kaiser. My favorite goose. Yeah. He's the best goose. He lets us know that the Egyptians won the fight in Bolvanger. They killed basically. They killed loads of guards and stuff, and will destroy it completely. Wow. Yeah, the witches do not shy away from a murder, which we learned when somebody shot an arrow right through a man's head. Yeah. Not n- not even two pages ago. <laughs> <laughs> There's no sign of Mrs. Coulter. And then Serafina Peckler cries out in a yell and the other witches come down and like circle around her and fly towards the balloon. They ask Lee for the rope and he says that he's grateful and asks how many of them it'll take to pull them north. And they just say, we are strong which I fucking appreciate a lot. It's like, we don't even need to answer that question. All you need to know is that we are strong. But also a number would be nice. <laughs> Just logistically, can you give me a number? Just a ballpark? We are strong. So one rope or two ropes or like how many ropes? <laughs> so Lee then does some balloon stuff. Six witches grab the rope and start to pull. Pan comes to look at the view. So Roger and Yorick are asleep and only Lee is awake out of the bunch of people that are there. 
Roger's demon. Roger's demon does pop out for a little look, but because Roger's asleep, she goes back again really quickly. Oh, she's sleeping. It's so sweet. (laughs) So Serafina asks if Lyra knows why she's going to Asriel. And Lyra says to take him the Elysiometer. But then she kind of thinks about it and thinks that she'd never really considered the question. Like it seemed obvious, but then she remembered her first motive, which was to help him escape. Yeah. So she's kind of changed her motive as the time's gone on to to it being her giving the Elysiometer to Azriel when when we started out, she just wanted to rescue him. Yeah. It's interesting because I think it's to do with the importance that other people have placed on the Elysiometer and the fact that people have said that they think it was Azriel that gave it to the college to her that's made yeah. her think she needs to give it to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also like the fact that she thinks it might be absurd for her to try and rescue him from Svalbard, but like she has just rescued dozens and dozens of kids from Bolvanger, so she knows she can do a rescue yeah. if she's got a little bit of help from her friends. She's yeah. not the best planner. She could do with more <laughs> spreadsheets and risk assessments, but she can do a rescue, so I don't know why she's doubting herself now. But I think as well, because what Yorick's told her about the bears in Svalbard, I think that probably adds to her doubt as well. Very true. Serafina says that there are things that she needs to tell Lyra. And Lyra asks if it's about dust, because it's the first thing that she wanted to know. And Serafina says yes, but they'll talk when Lyra wakes up. And Lyra, classic kid thing to do, tries to resist. But she's so tired. And then Serafina reaches over and touches her eyes. And then I thought, is she doing is there some magic here also i didn't i was like is she touching her eyeballs like last time when she (laughs) i that's immediately i thought of like you not being like oh is she touching her eyeballs i feel like she's maybe just touching the eyelids because nobody pokes people in the eyes that much this was really weird i would appreciate there being some kind of written down note of whether it's eyes or eyelids because i need that because i'm just going to imagine somebody poking eyes if you don't say eyelids so. I'm pretty sure if Seraphina Peckler poked Lyra in the eyes right now, she would not immediately fall asleep. <laughs> also, I don't know if this happened to you, but uh, where he says Lyra yawned, it was a jaw-cracking, lung-busting yawn that lasted for almost a minute, or it felt like it. Did you want to yawn when you read that? Absolutely. I want to yawn a little bit now after hearing yeah. you read it. <laughs> Yeah, I really I'm like struggling to not yawn right now. Yeah. It's, same. it's well well done, Philip. For yeah. making me want to do a yawn just like Lyra. I'm actually gonna do a yawn right now. <laughs> yawn. It's really hard not to when you talk about it. Podcast it podcast listeners, did you just did you just yawn? Let tell, us know. tell us. Let Tweet us, us. Tell us if you just yawned. <laughs> so if you didn't, does that mean you're a psychopath? Is that ooh, not the, what the yawn the thing, test right? is? Yeah. Like, if you see someone yawn and you don't yawn, you're a psychopath. I don't yeah. make the rules. I, just, I don't make the rules. <laughs> so we assume, do we assume that this is some kind of magic then that Seraphina's doing here to Lyra? Surely. Yeah. Yeah. So Lyra sinks to the floor and Pan changes to an ermine and uh, goes around to his little sleeping space in her, yeah. round her neck. I love that he has his, like, that. this is it. This is my sleeping position and my sleeping animal, and now we will do a snooze. Yeah. It's really cute. And Serafina settles into a steady pace as they head towards Svalbard. And then that's the end of the chapter. And the end of part two. Yes. Part three. Svalbard. Whoa. Oh, my God. Chapter 18, Fog and Ice. Woo, that sounds pleasant. 
I really liked this chapter. Like, it was tough to get through in terms of, like, making notes for the podcast because it's quite a chunky one. But, mm. and Lurs happens. But in terms of, like, a chapter of a book for just reading it, it's a really good chapter. I feel like it very easily could have been a shorter chapter or two short chapters as opposed to one long one because mm. it is a lot to go through in one chapter. Yeah, that's true. I'm greedy. I kind of wish that we'd spent a little bit more time with Mrs. Coulter. Yeah. I but agree. that's just because I... Uh, yeah, I, it's been so long since we've seen her and I do and I do genuinely think that Lyra's moments with Coulter are so interesting that I kind of wish she had more time before she tried to escape from Coulter. Yeah, definitely. I understand exactly why it all shook, shook out that way and it is, I think they did it really well and I appreciated the like ebbs and flows of the chapter and the mm-hmm. fact that you did get a moment of quiet after you had a battle but I can also understand why in the tv series they did it completely differently because mm. if that would have been like two two episodes of something yeah in order to get through it because they, there is a lot of different scuffles that happen that could be condensed for efficiency but I enjoyed every scuffle <laughs> uh, yes and we got through it so it's all good yeah and it was less stressful and more just exciting. Yes, and that's I like that. I wasn't as stressed, so that's good. Do you have an award? Do you I was about to ask you the oh my same God. question. My award is obviously for Roger because he's bloody brilliant, and he's wearing the exact same coal silk coats as everybody else but he's not complaining yeah he's helping out and he's doing his bit and he'll launch himself at mrs coulter and attack her if she tries to take lyra away and i love roger yeah i uh, love him so much i'm not even gonna try i obviously have roger as well and i'm not even gonna try and think of a different one i'm just giving mine to roger too because let's roger you get two awards yeah you get a bunch of flowers you get a box yeah. of chocolates you get everything yes you get our hearts, you get our souls. <laughs> yeah, you do. And can we all just say a fond farewell? Well, what we think is a farewell to Fada Corum because that felt like a goodbye and I'm really sad about it, but also happy that he's okay. So love you, Dad. Yeah. Bye, Dad. Thank you, Egyptians, yeah. for working real hard. An award to Roger, but an honor- honourable mention to Fada Corum and the rest of the Egyptians yeah. for doing that bit. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at HerDarkMaterialsPod at gmail.com We bloody love an email. We bloody do. If you want to support us you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash HDMPod You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. I'm Faye and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faily, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my blog posts, although I haven't read anything in a little while, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making designer toys, art and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and in my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk huge thanks to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings and help with the scary texture. We'll see you in a week's time and don't forget, 
keep telling stories, and all will be well. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 See you in Svalbard. Oh, Oh my God. Yay. (laughs)